So, um, just a quick update. I think I should probably do a separate podcast for this. I am currently reading the book um, Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And, oh my goodness, I wish I read this book many years ago. And I know that some books we speak about in that sense, like, where was this book many years ago? And in my current journey in life, I think it's one that has made the most impact on my life. And um, it's, a, it's a really old book. It was published in 1992. And I did the audiobook. It was, it's so old that they play music for every chapter, every new chapter in the book. It's that old. And um, the book really is about setting boundaries and having a healthy, balanced lifestyle. And I grew up, you know, with some boundaries in some areas, but lacks in other areas. And once in a while, these boundaries, problems, um, they exhibit in relationships with people because usually that's when you find them out. And then, you know, um, when you are in a relationship, you know, with your spouse or with friends or even with your family members. And um, early this month, um, April, I had a conflict with a friend. And um, even though the message was that I was trying to pass across was true and it came from a place of good intentions and love, the conduit, as far as the way the message was passed across, wasn't, it wasn't ideal in the sense that I didn't do a proper triangulation and anyways, the reaction of course from the person really threw me off and I mean, we've resolved the conflict, but I came out of that situation just thinking more about myself, reflecting about myself and basically um, how I needed to set boundaries as far as my relationship to people, why did I have this tendency to think I could rescue and fix things or fix my friends and things like that. And so I had to reflect deeply. And so this book was a timely book for me to just realize that. And on other notes, um, I mean, growing up as a Christian in Nigeria, if you think about also the cultural context of the way we were brought up, you're never really told that it was okay for you to say no to certain things. Um, the thing was you had to respect all of your elders, you know, everybody that was older than you had to respect them. Even when you knew that a no, a strong no will have averted whatever boundaries of yours that were, you know, intruding on. And so hearing it from a biblical example that it's okay to set boundaries. And the way the authors did it, they did a fine job of infusing several real life scenarios. And you could see yourself in some of the scenarios, how you could have just asserted yourself. And some of these issues about around boundaries or the problems you have around boundaries aren't necessarily because you don't have them. It could also be due to the way you grew up. If your parents didn't set some you know, tones with you or telling you it was okay for your voices to be heard or that you had an opinion about certain things around the house. So I didn't have that in certain areas. Like, I mean, I think a child growing up in Nigeria in those days, you had to listen to your parents. Like you didn't have to, you couldn't assert yourself. You couldn't defend some things and all that. And so anyways, I love this book. I love that it helps you shake up that feeling of selfishness you think you have when you decide to say no to some stuff. It helps you to understand that um, you cannot control anything. The only thing you can control is your reaction and your position in some things. So rather than just trying to tell the person, if you don't change, um, you're a horrible person. You need to change. You need to change. Um, you could maybe use words like, well, if you keep on doing this, I'm not going to show up for you anymore. That kind of thing. So the only thing you're really controlling there is just your um, reaction to that. You're not trying to control the person. And they also talked about different types of boundary issues. And I could see the kinds that I had. And I mean, that does not only give some of the um, 
properties of this kind of boundary issues. They also did a good job of providing solutions to solving them. So this is why I highly recommend this book to anyone like me. If you find yourself just getting stuck in some areas of your life where you think you're not making progress or where you think like people take you for granted and you you have to live with that anger and that hurt. And if you find yourself just getting, you know, irritable around people or you have you've had to avoid friends or you find people avoiding you as well, I highly recommend this book and it's a life changing book for me. Like I said, I read the um audio book. I'm gonna go ahead and order the hard copy so I can just have it. It's one book that I think I should read every year just in case I, f- I forget some things. And I think I fault the religious institution for not really enforcing these issues. I mean, for the first time in my life, I'm hearing that sometimes it's okay to say no, even to like things that you think are biblical. By biblical, I mean things that are spiritual. Even with your spouses, it's okay to set your boundaries. So basically, how do you set your boundaries and how do you respect other people's boundaries? And so um, this is a life-changing book and I like it. It's, you know, very honest, uh, brutally honest. It's logical. It's it's full of encouragement. It's full of empowerment. If you're a Christian or not, if you don't ascribe to that faith, I think you can, you know, get you know, a tin or two from it. And I recommend it for anyone in a relationship or not in a relationship. I mean, because it tells you all things you can do with co-workers, with friends, you know, um, attachment issues, attachment issues. If you are the avoidance type, if you are the aggressive type, if you are the, you know, um, pleasing type. I mean, so many areas. So anyways, um, that's about boundaries. It's called Boundaries by um, Dr. Henry um, Cloud and John Townsend. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. And now back to the show. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Rania Zaythar. Her story is an American as an African Muslim woman. When I sent out a survey to the listeners of the show last year, one of the feedback I got was to interview people that I necessarily wouldn't agree with or people that had a different belief system than I did. And so this is just extending that conversation. I'm speaking to a Muslim. I grew up with Muslims. I I have a lot of Muslim friends. <laughs> well, I know that kind of sounds like I have black friends. I grew up with black friends, so I can't be, you know, racist and all that. No, totally different story, bro. And um, so just moving to the U.S., I realized that there were two kinds of Muslims in the world, the Nigerian ones and the others. And um, from what you see in the media and from what's going on in what on countries like Syria, you begin to have this fear about just, you know, um, the Islam faith as a whole. Questions like, why is it so prone to violence and why is it so prone to misinterpretation? We do have Christians that, are, that you know, have wrapped a lot of havoc in the name of, of God and all that, Jesus and all that. But if you compare the scale at which is, that has been done, especially in countries where Islam is the predominant religion. So that really brought up a lot of questions in me. And so I brought Rania on the show to just talk about her faith. So I hope you guys, you know, get a thing or two from it. This was a very civil discussion. So if you're waiting to hear a shout match that you found on CNN on Fox, this is not the right place for you. Uh, And I must confess that I did did get a little bit of understanding after speaking to her. So, well, I'll let you be the judge of that. Enjoy the show then. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I am Mosibel. And this is The More Civil Podcast. Hey everyone, today I have someone with me. They actually reached out to me after listening to one of my episodes, the one with Shama. And um, she sent me a Facebook message like, Mo, I love your show. I like to come on board. I was like, oh, thanks so much for reaching out. Um, what's your story? How can I help you? And the rest, as I say, is history. 
So um, her name is Rania. Um, she's the author of America Through My Eyes, Experiences of an Egyptian-American Muslim Woman. She was born in Egypt. She writes in both Arabic and English. She has lived on three continents, in Africa, Egypt, and Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, that's in Asia, and now in North America, the United States. She studied business administration at Alexander University in Egypt. She's married with two children, and she currently works in the special education in the Plano public school system in Illinois. She's a member of the Plano Libraries Writers Group. Rania, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mo. Thank you for having me. Oh, wow. My, my pleasure. And so you've, you've had quite a, an experience living in three different continents. And uh, I think before we started taping, I teased you like you're African for all intents and purposes. But I, I bet that that's not the first thing people always notice about you. But um, so I just wanted to ask, what, what does that mean to you, like your heritage being from Egypt and with such a huge cultural influence that place is? Yes, um, I'm, I'm actually African and, uh, Egyptian, um, Muslim, I'm Arabic, um, and I'm Caucasian and I'm American now. So yeah, I'm a, like, um, many different racials in my roots and I'm so proud of each one of them and each one of them had a, a lot of influence in me. Yes, it's been a journey for me being in different continents and different cultures yeah. and I'm so, so, so proud of each one of them. Good. Good. So what made you move to the U.S.? My, my reason, the main reason for me being in the U.S. is my husband. So I met him and he was working in the United States and, um, I wasn't so, I was not excited about moving to the United States. Um, I spent most of my childhood in outside Egypt and like traveling abroad was not one of my dreams at all. But, uh, we made there and he was working in the States. So. I'm like, I have to be with him. I can't leave him alone. So we just moved in. We were thinking just for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so we, and just until he feels confident to go back to Egypt. But what happened that we actually had a really good experience here. And uh, after a couple of years, I felt like I really don't want to go now. I, I, I have my kids here and um, I feel like American, which is made me really want to stay. Oh, good. How many years has that been then? I came here in 2000, so I have been here for, and actually this month I will be 19 years. Wow, your residence here is old enough to actually um, do so many things. 19, that's past the age of accountability and responsibility, so congratulations on that. Thank you, thank you so much. So um, you, you, you had mentioned that it was a little bit difficult for you to even make a decision coming here. But you love it here. You love it here now, and that's good. But how were you able to build an emotional support system after moving to another country? Uh, you know, it was it was not easy. It was hard moving from a culture to different, totally different culture. Is it was not an easy thing to do, mm-hmm. especially that I came was my English was very very um, poor. Um, I couldn't speak well, and um, it was hard for me to interact and to um, express myself and to talk. And and right after I came, nine um, eleven happened, and that even oh. made it way worse. Yeah. So. It was, yeah, it was rough in the beginning. And then, and I think that those hard years helped me a lot to, um, to improve. It, it helped me a lot to like, um, improve my English and improve my, um, my personality. I had a really, I was really shy. I had glossophobia. I, it wasn't easy for me to express myself or to talk with others. Um, you know, even reaching out to you was not easy. And I still, really? <laughs> <laughs> I would not but, have guessed because you. It, I read it in a bold way, like your text was bold, like the way you expressed yourself and advocated for yourself, who you were, 
what I could help you with. I was like, wow, she's done a lot. Yeah, no, you know, I, I write better than I talk, but because everything was happening in the States the last, um, couple of years and, and especially after 9-11 and how people would see Muslims and how they image them and how they think of them, all of this stuff made me like give me energy to, uh, positive energy to change and to improve all my problems, improve my language and improve my glossophobia, which I suffered from for a long, long time. So I'm so grateful, you know, I'm so grateful for everything I went through, the bad ones as the good ones. Good, good. Um, you've, you've summarized just how the best outlook to have about life, because we always learn from our experiences, whether positive or negative. All That's right. true. Good. Um, so you've moved here, you've been here for 19 years. Um, before you moved here, you probably had some thoughts about the U.S., but having lived here for 19 years, what would you say are your feelings you had before moving to the U.S. and after coming here. How do you feel about the U.S. now that you've lived here compared to what you probably thought about it before moving here? Oh, totally different. Uh, so when I was in Egypt, most of my uh, information about the U.S. was from the media. So I always got news about the U.S. from like um, about the news, you know, like that, like what, what happens always here for Muslims. So I watch the TV and I always hear like negative news about the states, the politicians and what they do and, you know, the conflict in, between Palestine and Israel and how they are acting towards that conflict and all this stuff. It's always, always negative information about the states. So for me, you know, the United States was mostly politics. But when I came here and, um, and I start know people and I start see how amazing people are the Americans and how they accept how they helped me to improve. Um, you know, every, every good thing happened, um, in my life in the States, um, was made by, like, an American non-Muslim was a reason for it. Like, um, everything, like my work, um, my improve, improvements in English, um, my book, which I published in my second language, something I never thought I would do in my life. Yeah. Um, Everything um, I accomplished in the United States uh, was 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 help of the Americans people who actually I appreciate a lot. Mm, that's good. Like I'm a huge proponent of what you just said about how when we come to a new area, let's try to build support. But if we approach people with a stereotype in mind, we might not really benefit a lot. It might be a great, it might be at a great disadvantage to us. Now we forget that within those stereotypes that there are people that are involved and people that are people almost everywhere you go. You have people that do good things and you have people that do bad things. And yes. if we can leave our comfort zone and see what can I learn from other people, how can I make them understand my culture better? And we find out that within those spaces, a lot of conversations go on. And then you really see people for who they are, like nice people. I'm sure the people you, that you probably maybe had like a negative view about based on what you watched on TV way back then are the ones that have genuinely helped you and you're better for it. That's true. And, and that's, you know, my experience, uh, helped me a lot in, in giving excuses for those who don't know or mm. for those who would treat me poorly or badly because they see me a Muslim woman mm. and they think that of me because when they see me or they know I'm a Muslim, they would usually connect that with what they hear in the media. Mm. And, um, that makes me like more, um, more patient, uh, and trying more to understand them and to give them all what they need to know me well. And mm. that was uh, like the main reason for me to, to pop the book. 
Like I really wanted people to understand me more, to know how I think, who I am, what is my culture, what is my religion, things that people don't really know a lot here in the States. Wow, thanks for sharing that. Um, So let's piggyback, let's go back a little bit to what you had said. You had described yourself in three parts. You know, you're African, you're Muslim, and then you're American. So what would you say you're grateful about being African? Um, you know, uh, Egypt actually in North Africa and, and it's in the middle, middle of, um, of the, the world. And it's also, um, was, a um, like because of the good location that Egypt and many, many, many nations occupied Egypt, like from Europe and Turkey, like England, Turkey, France. Um, so many different nations were in Egypt for years and years, hundreds of years. And I think all of that made a lot of, made us as Egyptians, especially I'm from Alexandria, Alexandria in the north by the Mediterranean Sea. Mm-hmm. And um, most of those nations went through Alexandria and they stayed in Alexandria. And I think we learned something from everyone. I remember a lot of stories from my mom and my grandmother about um, like Greek people who were in Alexandria and about Jewish who were in Alexandria and about. So I think that had really um, a lot of impacts in my personality and my life, too. Well, that's good. So that's your part of being African, the multiculturalism and all that. How about what do you appreciate about being American? Uh, being American is actually what made me proud American is the American people. Mm-hmm. Uh, humanity in the American people. Mm. The, um, the, ni- the kindness I have met, um, and I have seen and, 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 and so many, so many Americans that I have met here since I came 19 years ago. Mm. Um, uh, the hearts, the American hearts, the, 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 um, the beautiful different cultural max that I have met. Yeah. I learned so many things about um, about different religions and about different cultures, different countries. Uh, in the States, I have a feeling that I, I visited every single country um, I have met someone from. Wow. Like when I see an Indian, I, I talk with them and I eat their food and I listen to their culture. I feel like I've visited India. Yeah. When I see when I see Nigerian or Moroccan or uh, I have met so many different I met so many different friends from so many different countries and cultures and religions. And it's amazing. All this opportunity I would never, ever have if I was in Egypt. Uh, in Egypt, we mostly like 90 percent are Muslims, 10 percent Christians. Right now, we don't have that mix. Mm. Like used to have that mix like 100 years ago. But now. Like you would see rarely if you see someone who's not Egyptian living in Egypt, but we are mostly Egyptians. So we don't have this great opportunity to um, know more about others and learn more about others, which I had here. It's- that is good. I mean, you've painted it beautifully. Just the pluralism that makes, you know, American, you know, um, really beautiful. And some might say, well, you're just being deluded about it. Like, it's just a matter of time before you're disappointed. So what would you have to like to say for those that probably don't think like these narratives really exist? Like, especially coming from a different culture, especially being Muslim and, and all the, um, unique entities that come with you. For those that are home right now, probably listening to this and they're still very doubtful, like what would you say to convince them about the kind of experiences you had here? Um I I personally think um you know like traveling to the States was totally out of my comfort zone. 
And, um, you know, in my mind, when I came to the States, I never thought I would be living here for 19 years and thinking that I would spend my whole life here. Uh, so I think as human being in general, uh, for us to try different things and to know different people and to go different places is very, very, very important for us to improve emotionally and mentally and um, and, you know, in general, as pers- as people, um, it affects us a lot to to get out of our comfort zone. Yeah. And um, and I and I think like if you asked me when I came here, hey, Rania, you you're going to live here for, for you're just going to tell me you're going to live here for 19 years. You're going to publish a book in your second language and uh, you will be thinking like believing that you're American and you're going to stay here for the rest of your life. Um, I would think you're crazy. <laughs> like what are you talking about? That would never happen. But you know, we change. Like it's it's natural natu- naturally happens to us. But we have to help that change to be happen to happen. Mm. Like we have to try and um and I understand you know now after all these years and after all this experience, when someone gave me bad ideas about specific kind of people yeah. or a specific race or a specific religion I totally understand that's impossible, like impossible. There is no religion that all of them are bad. There yeah. is no country all of them are bad. Yeah. It's just, this is this is how God created this earth. Like you would find everything in everything. Yeah. So so it's, that's what I'm thinking. Very good, very good. Um. So I think to to ask you the third question, which I think is. It's also equally important will be about being Muslim. So let me give you a scenario. Um, when I just moved here as a Nigerian, I just had, I felt this guilt of having to make sure that I represented my country well. Because almost what people knew, almost what everybody knew about Nigeria was, you know, 419, the Nigerian Prince Camp. And so I worked extra hard to be sure that I wasn't, you know, being, um, was, was shading all of my things. I was as straight as an arrow. I communicated clearly. I just felt this unnecessary pressure to make sure that everywhere I went, I was a good ambassador for Nigerians because I didn't want to be just that extra person that would keep adding to that narrative of being, you know, oh, yet another bad Nigerian that wants to scam you or that wants to, you know, take you for granted and whatnot. The question I'd like to ask regarding that would be, you being Muslim and given what's just happening around now, would you say you've also been under that kind of pressure? And I know it's a different kind of pressure for you. Yours is more religion and it's a, a little bit cultural as well because beyond Islam being your religion is also your own way of life. Would you say you've had some kind of pressure to be that model Muslim? I don't know if that question made sense. Um, yes, it does make sense. And it's, it's very true. And it actually happens when I start wearing hijab. Uh, because when I came here in the beginning, I didn't wear hijab. So most people would see me, they would never assume I'm a Muslim. Um, they would always think, most people, if I go like, like, um, uh, like a Mexican store, they right away think I'm Hispanic and they will talk to me in Spanish. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, Habla so, Espanol. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I started wearing my hijab, it was, it, that's what happened. I, I, I had this, um, Pressure, like I, I had felt like I'm now not myself. I'm not just Rania. I'm now the, that probably people think if if I did something wrong, people would think of me as a person. They would think of my religion as a bad religion, which they already have the impact from the media. So I was like, like trying my best, um, acting uh, with 
which is part of my hijab anyway. Mm-hmm. Like part of wearing hijab is is improving um my my behaviors and my character and and doing what is the best in every situation I can. So I I had this feeling um way more when I started wearing my hijab. Um I felt more responsible about about um a religion like 1.6 billion human being on earth it's like muslim there is one muslim of each four muslims uh four human beings on earth yeah. so it's almost a quarter of the population um so it's 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 a big responsibility especially um we are minority in the states so yeah. We are almost that most of the um, almost three percent of the American population. So it's it, it, for people who don't really have the uh, um, the chance to see um, a lot of Muslims, they won't recognize that Muslims just as any other religion, any other culture. You might find good people and you might find bad people. So yeah, it was it was and so I think if. As as much as I'm deciding to wear my hijab and to act as a Muslim, and people would know I'm a Muslim, I would always have this pressure on me. Mm. Okay, thanks for answering that. Um, so another question I had for you was: um, so looking at how you you're Muslim here in America, what do you say will be some core differences between, say, you being a Muslim woman living in America and um, those living in Islamic countries? Are there core differences? Would you say living here has probably shifted some of your views, especially in yeah. to other people? And in what yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Um, and I think that's for any, not just for Muslims in majority Muslim countries, but I mean, it's it's would be for anyone and in 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 like even for Christians in Egypt. I mean, they they didn't go through, um, like learning other cultures or other um religions or other you know so that's that's um i think what the difference between me as a muslim living in a muslim country and a muslim living in a western country is similar to any other minority in the united states or any other minority in a muslim country okay um so it, it, usually minorities have more pressure in general like I think um, what I'm going through, a Christian will be going through in Egypt. Also, this is a good point to, to, to talk about because I hear a lot of questions because would, people would ask, oh, Christians in Egypt are living like hard life or they have like, um, they face a lot of problems. And and when I when someone asks me that question, I always say, um, you know, they, you think so because you always hear about the negative things that happens to Christians in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Like, if there is a wonderful experience that many, many, many Christians' family going through in Egypt, you'll never hear it about make, it. It won't make the news, probably. Yeah, it won't make the news. But what makes the news is the awful things that happens. So, and, and, and the awful things that happen to Christians in Egypt are very, very, very few. Not as much as you're thinking, because you don't really hear about the positive things. So, um, and, and I think it's similar here too. Like, I mean, we hear sometimes about problems that happen to minorities in the States, but like as me, I had, I faced, I faced, a, I would say four or five horrible situations as a minority, mm-hmm. just like kind of discriminations for me against me for being a Muslim. Mm-hmm. But in the other hand, I have faced like 
hundreds and hundreds, not thousands of positive situations and nice people and nice comments and helping. And so usually when people would ask me, they would ask me what, what, what did, what are the negative things they have faced? You know? So, and and, and for me, and, and when I talk about, my life in the states, I always try to mention both, yeah. you know, because a balanced message. Yeah, I can't, I can't mention just the bad things yeah. and forget about like the way more good things that I that I have left. But you know, the reality is, my religion is very, very misunderstood, and and and, and I think it's important for every Muslim in the West countries, any West countries uh, in general, to to try to explain themselves and explain their culture, explain their religion, just let people know them more, which I think more is a problem we have. Like we, part of this problem that we're facing right now is Muslim people don't have this, um, this ability. I mean, we grew up in countries like in Egypt, as an example, we grew up in like, and when I was in college, we were not allowed to talk in politics. Uh, we, we couldn't, like people would talk in politics, say bad things about the prison, they will be in jail. Uh, most, most of Muslim, uh, countries, uh, have faced a lot of oppression against freedom, speech, freedom of speech in general. So, um, that affects our personalities a lot. That made a lot of people from, um, I would say third world countries or African countries or Asian countries that they would, um, they would not have this, bravery to speak and to interact and to answer questions. Um, so I think it's a big part of solving uh, the problem that Muslims are facing um, right now is to try our best to express ourselves, to reach out to others and explain ourselves to others. I don't think it's just limited to Muslims alone. I think People that ascribe to organized religions need to do their part in being model uh, members of those religions. Like as as a Christian, you know, I'm commanded to love people and you know live like Christ. But I just think I can imagine how there'll be much more pressure on you as a Muslim to do even more, given just how lopsided and how um, you know with the extremists and things that are happening in those countries. That's true. Yeah. Given the light of what's happening in those, I, I don't know. I don't want to mention specific countries, like with extreme extremists using the Quran as a way to justify their reign of terror and all that. Yeah. How do you reconcile that with the axiom that, or the reference that Islam is the religion of peace? Like, how do you reconcile those two things? Okay, uh, so let me first talk about the Islam of religion of peace because I know this probably a lot of Muslims were will say about Islam, and um, I probably would feel I'm I'm a Muslim because I feel complete peace in my religion, uh, but saying Islam is a religion of peace in general, um, I think it's. Um, I have it has so many reasons. Maybe one of them that our greeting is peace up be upon you, which is assalamu alaikum. But uh, I think Islam is just a religion. I don't think it's the religion of peace. I mean, Islam is peace when it's peace, and Islam, is, like any other religion, like like Christianity or Judaism, if if is a Christians a group of Christians, well, someone will attack them. They will attack back to protect themselves. Okay. That's not doesn't mean they're not peaceful. Islam or Muslims, the same thing. Like in the Quran, uh, God said, "Don't attack anyone unless you get attacked." You know, so 
some people would say, oh, we're the religion of peace because we, we shouldn't attack others first. We just defend ourselves if someone attacked us. Mm-hmm. So um, this is, you know, I have read a lot about that, and I think that's what I'm convinced. It's a religion. Islam is a religion. It's peaceful. When it's peaceful. When, when it's peaceful. And, and, and it would be like they will dec- declare war when it's a time of war. Yeah. So just like any other nation or any other religion, um, as a Muslim, I would say about myself that Islam is peace for me. I mean, I, I read in so many different religions and, and, and I, um, had a lot of information from my friends and their books and everything. And I choose to be a Muslim because I feel peaceful in that religion. Yeah. So that's what I just want to clarify because I know a lot of people now would say Islam is a religion of peace as a sign of uh, we're not terrorists. Islam is not about terrorism, which I think these two different things. So I just wanted uh, to clarify that part. Yeah. And about terrorism, like I yes. have a lot, you know, I, I actually, I actually uh, have so many different parts in my book about explaining that part because I have faced some, some situations when people would um, like, Come to me, bring some verses from the Quran and say, hey, you have this verses in the Quran, which says you need to kill non-Muslims. And I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not. You know, the problem is when people, you know, um, you know, I, I give an example of this when I write to you and I say, Mo, um, I don't like you like anyone. I like you more than anyone. Mm-hmm. Running. And then someone would cut that message in half. And it would say, I don't like you. <laughs> I don't like you, Rania. But the, 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 the truth is in my heart that I like you. Oh, and if somebody gave, somebody gave you that paper and said, Hey, this is Rania's handwriting and this is her message. So she doesn't like you. Now, the problem, if someone gave you that message that you will, if you believe that, this is the problem because you have to come to me, the source of that writing and ask, did you really write this? And then I would say, you know what? I didn't write that. I wrote this and I have those feelings. And if you don't believe me, okay, see how I treat you, Mo. See what I do. Say how relationship for this years, you know, I would have proofs that that's not what I have in my heart. So, and then I think that's what happens with the media was like the, the websites and that how easy people now can make up stuff on the media and how they can make up some websites just, just were created mm-hmm. for that reason. Mm-hmm. I have seen a lot of websites created to make people hate Islam and Muslims. Okay. So most of this information comes from those places. So what I do usually, I just give the Quran to that person. I'm like, okay. You think the Quran says that I should kill non-Muslims? Read it. Because when you read the, the verses before that verse and the verses after that verse, you find out it's not about that. It's the opposite of that. Mm. So I think it's a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of knowledge that we don't really go to the right sources to find information. We find it easy to get it from uh, someone or from website. So maybe would you say that could explain why, for example, those that go the extreme length, they probably don't, they don't have a full understanding of the Quran and they just take context and they act on those kind of things. And then Mo, just take, um, take a look on those groups, tourism groups. You will find out that, um, all of these groups, uh, were created in war places. Mm-hmm. You will never find a tourism group that was created in a peaceful country. 
it's always always the war will start and then tourism group will be created they 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 there is uh, a lot of like conditions has to happen in order to wash brain someone to make him uh kill other human beings for a religion you know they have to do there's so many um factors that would uh create a tourism person tourist person so um yeah like yeah. political instability and all of that all right thanks for answering that um i think the final question i had regarding this point to be um and thanks for you know letting me know about that islam not necessarily being a religion of peace because i never really considered that option you know i just took that statement of it's a religion of peace and why is this happening but thanks for helping me understand that um so and especially in this current climate where in those countries that you mentioned certain rights are not being upheld like women's rights are not upheld um like in my country one of the biggest issues we have with um, some of these sharia clerics is advocating for child bride marriages and Mm -hmm. um, if you go to school like with the whole um Sharia and Boko Haram and all of that is, you know, women's rights and people that are minorities of the minorities are not being upheld. So, and along that line, what would you say about the statement? Like, do you think that um, Islam is compatible with the West? Yes. Uh, you know, what I think about that is Islam is a religion. Um, it has... It, it has, like, you know, I have heard this from politics before, like, uh, um, Islam hates the West or Islam, um, whatever. You know, I, that's not true because Islam is just a religion like any other religion. It has a message to humanity like any other religion. Um, no matter, you know, I have a lot. Um, I have seen so many, so many of uh, American um, Western who grew up from different religion and converted to Islam. Mm. And I, I have seen a lot of them. And they're just Muslims, you know, who are, um, who, like, they find out what they were searching about in Islam and they converted to that religion. It has nothing, it's a religion like, the, like any, like Buddhism, like Jewish, Judaism, like Christianity. It's a religion like any religion. Mm. People, seek something in life and they would find it in that religion they convert it so i don't think islam is something separate about the west mm-hmm. um there are muslims here in the united states since uh uh it started since the united states started muslim came with the slaves from africa there were a lot of them were muslims and they 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 practiced islam here for like generations and generations mm-hmm. there are muslims in every single country in the world of course. like in in, in England, and they're 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 part of the society. They're part of the culture. They they build. They 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 work in med- medical. They're doctors. They're cab yeah. drivers. So it's not something that Islam would be um, have never had a problem with the West or East or anything. Yeah, I think I think the argument people that people that make that argument, I think what they mean to say is that when it becomes the predominant culture, like in countries where, for example, where they are predominantly Muslims. You know, so take for example Syria and things that are happening there. Is that when that becomes like is infused, there's so many opportunities for things to be taken out of context where you have women's rights not being upheld. You can get stoned okay. for doing this kind of stuff. I think that's what they mean. Like yeah, predominant. This is important. This is important to say too because what you're talking about, it's mm. not Islam. You know, it it is it is bullet politicians who used Islam to control people. And as we were talking about. Um, you know, if you think about the tourism or black Taliban as example, for yeah. them, in order for them to grow and to have power, they they uh, controlled education, and that's that's why they would 
like not allow women's like Malala's example to go yeah. to school. Yeah. You know, it's very important for them to keep people ignorant, to keep people don't know and don't learn and to reach out to books and to knowledge. So now for countries, as examples that you said, yeah. as Saudi Arabia, people would say, oh, look at Islam, Saudi Arabia, look what they are doing. They're not allowing women to drive. They're not nothing. Now there are 50 countries in the world have majority Muslims. So people would think of Islam as Saudi Arabia and and, and uh, Iran, and they don't think of Islam like um, Indonesia. Indonesia has a lot of minority the, Muslims, yeah. The, the the most Muslims in um, and it's just perfect. Nothing wrong with with Indonesia. Like they they're very uh, good people. They have nothing wrong with their system. They have freedom for women. Actually, women had uh, reached. Um, uh, uh, very high political uh, positions in Indonesia, you know. So it's not Islam. It's more about how people they use parts mm, mm. to control others. And usually, it's about lack of education and knowledge. Thank you for that. And I know these questions are not very easy to answer. And I'll tell you this truthfully, Rania. I grew up in Nigeria. I grew up with Muslims. In fact, I used to go with one of my friends to Arabic school, I learned the Arabic for a while, and I had no, you know, I didn't think any differently about Muslims. I just thought of them like, you know, I went to church on Sunday, they went somewhere else on Sunday. It was until yeah. I moved to the U.S. that I realized that there was just this huge, and after 9-11 happened, and you started yeah. hearing a lot about Muslims, and I couldn't, for the life of me, reconcile the Muslims I had grown up with. You know, people that when they were fasting would eat Sarah together. There was no ill feeling towards, you know, I, I couldn't have all those kind of feelings that, you know, I was confronted with after 9-11 happened and just the, you know, the fear of terror when you think about what's happening in other countries. And even you answering these questions and, you know, you've really educated me, I would say that. You've helped me understand so many questions that I had and I'm sure some people also have about this. And it also helps to hear from you personally because, like you said, what we read outside there, what we watch outside there, they're not really, sometimes they're, you know, subjected to bias, whatever the reporter had in mind. But hearing you talk about this passionately, I want to just say thank you for that. You're welcome. You're yeah, welcome. Yeah. And again, um, and I feel bad a lot for Syria because Syria and um, and Iraq and um, you know these these places now it's almost destroyed. Th- these countries were like one of the best countries in like in civilizations mm-hmm. and history. Yeah. And people, I have met people from those countries. They're very, very, very kind people. And it's so sad to see how those, and again, it's all politics. It's all about power. It's all about wars. What created uh, ISIS was was war. Yeah. What created Taliban was war. So it's all about how, uh, and that's why I hate politics, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I, this is the only thing I would never do in my life. It's really? Like impo- I, I have a different yeah, opinion. It, about, I think it's important it, to do it right, but I, I, know, I, I, but I, I, get, I get how you feel. It's been bastardized, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's like how people would uh, use politicians and and to in order to keep power, power and it's about power, you know, yeah, yeah. it's very complicated. It's it's just hard to see uh, all these people are dying and all these countries are destroyed and and it's sad. It is so sad. Yeah, it is. It is. My heart goes out to them. I mean, things I just know about them about Syria is what I hear about on the news, and I haven't met someone that you know has gone through that, but I can imagine that. If I were to take what I see on TV, even with a little grain of salt, it must really be um, a hard place because of no, it's harder than you can ever imagine. I will never know it's that. 
heartbreaking, uh, heartbreaking stories and heartbreaking, you know, like those families are sick each other anymore forever they hear every day about parts of their families are dying from the war it's just it's it's hard it's, it's rough and by the way this is the best environment to create terrorists mm. like the the people there use this environment to get those uh little kids who lost their families and give <sighs> brain brain wash brain them, washing was, them and then the cycle continues Yeah. Hey, do you want to go to heaven? You lost your family. You lost your house. You lost your job. You have nothing to do. You want to go to heaven? Okay, go take revenge from those who uh, were attacking your country. I I pray. I pray for peace for, for every country on earth. I pray for peace for everyone, mm. every family, for, for every um, broken heart in this earth. I mean, you've, you've hit, you've hit the right spot right there. I think whatever religion we belong to, we can at least do that much. We can all unite our voices and pray for stability, especially for those that are hurting. You know, I can't even imagine being separated from my family forever in such a, you know, um, violent, um, permanent way, you know. So you've, you've, you've given us something to think about, you know, find ways to help, donate to worthy causes and then pray, keep praying for people that are, you know, torn by war because at the end of the day, we're all going to be, either worse for it or better for it. And whether directly or indirectly, we're all in this together. That's true. Thanks That's for that true. reminder, Rania. Um, just final questions before you leave. So you're married with kids? Uh, I have two boys. Two boys? I have, uh, yes, I have Moaz is 14 and Marwan is 12. What would you say has been the best in being a mom to those two boys of yours? Um, you know, I'm... I'm I'm trying my best with them. Like um, I'm enjoying all the this, the 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 journey with them, yeah. and um, I know it's it's very challenging for them. It's very challenging uh, because they they were born here, and um, English is their first language. And at the same time, I try my best, me and my husband, to keep them. Um, in contact with their family. We try to save money every year to go visit Egypt in the summer. Uh, we try to, uh, get them like they, I remember my, my, my son when he was young, he was like, he was like four or five and mm-hmm. he is, he's saying like in, 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 uh, in school, like grand, there's a grandparents day and there's cousins day and there's uh, whatever. And he's like, mom, I don't have grandparents. I don't have cousins. Mm-hmm. I'm like, everyone they're not they're just not here but they're there and that's that i remember that situation that's what actually gave me the huge encourage to do my best to take them at Mm. least once to get them to see their family to know their all my family all my husband family are um are in in egypt i just have one cousin here so it's it's i think it's very challenging for them to keep um the cultural heritage yeah yeah Yeah, keep learning about their their culture and their religion and their uh language. But Arabic, I try my best for them to keep the language, which is not easy language. Did they speak it? Did they, did they speak they, it? They do. They speak really well. They're just okay. struggling a little bit in writing, yeah. but um, but they're they can understand Arabic very well, which is a good thing. That's so, good. yeah, it's been a very interesting journey to raise children in between two different cultures. Oh wow! Well, um, <laughs> wish you the very best in that. And then finally, your book. Can you just you know, give us a thirty second spill on your book? What is it about, and where we can buy it from? Sure. Uh, my book is available on Amazon and Create Space. And my book is my try to build bridges, let people know me more, know my fellow Muslim American, uh, understand us more, know why we wear hijab, why we fast in Ramadan, why, uh, what, what is our religion? Is uh, our religion ask us to be violent anyway? Uh, is our religion asking us to love other people from all other religions and, and cultures or no? Um, you know, it, 
tell some stories about my life in the States, how people uh, changed me, how American people uh, changed my life and my personality. So it's uh, it's uh, like a kind of memoir about my life here in the States. Yeah. Um, trying to express express myself for non-Muslims. Thank you. And uh, you're you're welcome. And I I really appreciate if anyone had the chance to read the book if they give a review on Amazon because really that's a lot to spread the word. That's good. That's encouraging because a lot of us come here without, you know, maybe probably the best view about America. But we come here and we've benefited a lot. But we forget to keep sharing those stories, especially for the benefits of those that are coming ahead after us. You know, to let them know, okay, this is how you navigate this space. Um, you're going to meet good people and bad people. But then how do you, you know, thrive over everything that you you find yourself in, you know, whatever situation you find yourself in here? You know, well, the main reason for me to, to, to write and to publish the book was my kids. I really wanted the people to understand them as human beings, not judge them as uh, the media is saying about them. You know, they're not the media. They're, they're very nice, kind, helpful, uh, cheerful boys that I don't want someone to mistreat them when they know just when they know they're Muslims, just because, you know, lack of knowledge who are Muslims. Thank you. Thanks for that. Um, and I will put a link on the announcement when I do release this and let people know where to buy your book from. Um, thanks a lot, Rania. I have learned a lot from you today. Thanks for sharing, you know, those questions I had about Islam, <laughs> especially from your own personal um, experiences. And um just want to thank you for reaching out. I really commend you and um, congrats on your book. And I know you have another one coming. So I wish you all the very best in that. And if there are other ways we can help you on the show, just, you know, you're always more than welcome to come back here again. And I do hope that you had a good time on the show today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it so much. And thank you for um, helping spreading the word. And I really appreciate that. Anytime, anytime, sister, African sister. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, everyone. Um, that was the show with Rania. Um, we've covered a lot of grounds today, just, you know, about her identity as um, American, as African, and also as a Muslim woman. If you enjoyed this content of this episode, let me know on um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can also check out the website, www.mosible.com. Well, I've been your host, Mosible, and um, thank you all for listening.